1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. As you're getting there, if you've been following along with us, if you've been tracking, what we've been seeing is this is a letter that is written to a group of people in a port city, like a big hub of business in the capital of Macedonia, one of the top Greek cities at the time called Thessalonica. And it's a city that is still under Rome's rule and their authority, but has adopted Rome's ways so much that Caesar has basically said, you know what, you do you. Like, you can do what you want. I trust you because you guys are basically like us, right? And so they've adopted all of Rome's gods, all of Rome's customs. They're paying their their taxes to Caesar and probably then some because they're making lots of money as a port city. And so this is not a city that is following after God. There are a group of Jewish people there, and they have a synagogue built there, a temple, where there is worship going on. But what we find is when these people who are following Jesus show up, and that's the first place they go to preach the good news, that God has done everything he's promised to do all throughout the scriptures, all throughout the Torah, all throughout the law and the prophets. It's finally here. The most opposition comes from the Jewish believers. And so a lot of Greek people, a lot of Gentiles believe. It says many of the prominent women. This story can all be found in Acts chapter 17. And then the Jewish people get so angry and they get these guys kicked out of town. So Paul and Silas, they, they stir up a riot and they stir up the officials and they send these guys packing on their way. And so this letter is much later, Paul going like, man, what happened to those people who believed? Are they still following? And so he sends this guy, Timothy, to go check on them. And Timothy reports back, yes, they love Jesus and they're trying to follow him. And so this letter sent going, amen, that is good news, that's awesome. And then here's some, here's some info for you to maybe help further you along in your walk so you can continue to be faithful. So chapter one was all praise, thanksgiving, God is good, you guys are being faithful for your hope, your faith, your love, that's so good. Chapter two, he starts going, okay, remember now, we came in sincerity because these Jewish leaders are now trying to tell the people, yeah, those guys, they, they just wanted something from you. They didn't come here to actually give you good news. They came here to get something from you. And so he's going to remember how we came and we didn't ask anything from you and we worked alongside you and we loved you. And so that was the beginning of chapter two and now we're moving on, verse 13. This is what the letter continues to say. Verse 13, this is why we constantly thank God because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, since you have also suffered the same things from people of your own country, just as they did from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and persecuted us. They displease God and are hostile to everyone by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. As a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit, and wrath has overtaken them at last. It's a good feel-good message right there this morning, right? But this is God's word. Father, we pray you would open up our hearts, our minds, and our ears to receive your word. God, that as you have spoken through uh, the writers of this letter to the people in Thessalonica centuries ago that you, your spirit, would speak again to your people today right here in Phoenix. 
God, that we would hear your address to us and we would be transformed by it, that you would turn our hearts toward you and toward love for one another and for the city around us. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I actually, before we go any further, have another evidence of grace that I want to share. Uh, when we were meeting with our cohort with Cultivate this week, if you don't know what that is, we, we take a group of young people who uh, are in different vulnerable stages of life. Many of them are they're about to age out of the foster care system without anything to their name, and they're just kind of sent packing. Uh, many of them refugees, many of them just in a neighborhood where they're struggling all to help mom pay rent. And so we, we take them through this internship at Cultivate Coffee where they get paid work experience. But we meet with them every other Wednesday. We have a meal, and we go through some job and life skills training. And on this past Wednesday, one of the young men from a group home, he came in, and Bethany was telling me this because I actually didn't hear it, but she said she heard him saying to somebody, I just want to, I kind of want to talk to Chris about this, but I also would really love to hear from somebody who hasn't always believed. And so she's like, oh, that's interesting. And he ended up having a conversation with Diana. Many of you know Diana Ringer. She's now living in Tempe and part of Missio de Tempe over there, but she helps out on Wednesday nights with us. And so she followed up with Diana later and was like, what happened? And this young man basically said that he, he was at school and he was hearing uh, from his science class about like the Big Bang and all this stuff about how the world came into existence. And something kind of clicked for him when he goes, that doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't sound right. And so he was like, I, I, don't, I don't think I could buy that. But he, he also admitted, I also am not so sure I believe in what you're saying with Christianity either. But it seems like there has to be something more than this big bang thing, right? There has to be something more to the, the earth being in existence. And so there's something stirring up inside of him. And he entered into this conversation. I just want to share that with you guys. And I want to ask you to join us in praying for this young man and that we can continue to have conversations with him as well as the other youth in our cohort and that we can continue to have opportunities to share the truth of creation, of a God who created this world and still loves and cares for this world and is working to restore this world, right? But I bring that up also because it reminds me too of this story I recently heard that happened in the revival of Ireland in 1859. And so there's a story that there's a young man who is sitting in school, and suddenly he starts feeling this deep, he didn't know the word for it at the time, but a deep conviction for his sin, for all the things he had ever done wrong to anybody, but also for all the thoughts that he had had, and even for all the times he had done the right things for the wrong reasons, right? Anytime he had been selfish, and anytime he had rebelled against if there was possibly a God. Like, this just starts weighing heavily on him. He's not a believer. He's not a churchgoer. His family doesn't go to church. And he starts getting really distraught to the point where his teacher notices, and he's so distraught that she actually dismisses him to go home for the day. And so she sends another student to walk this kid home. And this other student happens to be a Christian. And so this young believer is walking his friend home, his classmate, and he's asking what's going on. He's like, well, let me tell you some good news. And he starts sharing the gospel with this young man. And this young man says, that's what I need. I need this Jesus to come and rescue me too. And so he, he leads him to knowing the Lord and to salvation. 
And this kid goes, I don't got to go home anymore. I feel great now. <laughs> Let's go back to school. And so they go back to school. And he, he goes back into the classroom. And the teacher's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, he stands up. And he's like, hey, everything's great. I know Jesus now. And he saved me. And he sits down. <laughs> and that phrase in front of all his classmates sparks something. All these other students are like, they, they can't work. They're like, wait a second. I need to know what he's talking about. To the point where, like, the teacher's just like, all right, go ahead and, and share whatever you're talking about with the classroom. And the, everybody hears this. Later, parents come to pick up their kids, and they can't leave because kids are sitting there in prayer circles, and they're weeping, and they're confessing sin, and, and they're celebrating. And parents are like, what is going on? And the teacher and the headmaster start telling them what's going on. And then later that evening, what you see is the administration comes, the like superintendent type of people. I don't know what they're called in Ireland in 1859, but the top people, they come in and parents are now doing this. They didn't leave the school campus until about 10 p.m. Everybody is just there crying, confessing their need and going, we need a savior. And we've now heard good news that there is a rescuer. And then the next week, the church was like packed, like they couldn't, they didn't have enough room for everybody. There was dozens and dozens of new believers and followers in Jesus. From this one little boy just standing up going, everything's great now. I know Jesus and he's saved me. Now listen, I put a lot of work into these sermons. I, I pray over them a lot. I never have that kind of response. I'm just going to. I feel like I'm a decent enough speaker. Um, don't argue with me right now. And I put time and effort into it, and I pray over it, as most preachers do, right, leading up to Sunday morning. I've never had a response like that. Now, I'm not, this is not a pity party, don't worry. It doesn't matter how well I articulate it, because it's not a message that comes from me. What happened that day in 1859 in a small town in Ireland is that God spoke through a little boy, that God brought this message and it brought salvation to tons of people. We see stories like that happening in scripture of Paul who says, I'm not a very good speaker. He says that oftentimes throughout his letters speaking good news and tons of people come to know Jesus, of, of Peter going out right after the Spirit fills them. They go out, open up the shutters to the windows and they start telling people this good news and thousands are saved. And we don't always see that every day though. Like those are moments in time, moments in history that I think God is doing something unique and special to continue to build his church, right? And in between that, in between like times that we read in scripture in 1859 in Ireland and some other times throughout history, you could find little revivals happening all over the world. In between that time is a lot of, a lot of brokenness, a lot of human messages being shared around us, a lot of what's going on in this world trying to sway us and turn our hearts and attention somewhere else, and a lot of just mundane everyday stuff of life paying your bills, going to work, going to school, fighting with your kids, feeding your dog, everyday stuff of life, right? But every now and then, every now and then you hear 
the voice of God, the message of God going, hey, look at me. Remember me. I'm still here and I'm still at work. And you're in need. You can't get through this life the way you're going. You need something greater. And what happens for the people in Thessalonica is they have this type of moment. They come in, Paul and Silas, and they start sharing good news of Jesus. And there's nothing awesome about Paul or Silas. And there's nothing great about their presentation. And there's nothing that they try to bribe them with. There's not these mailer cards that go out and say, hey, free tickets to Disneyland for the first hundred people that show up to church this week, right? Nothing like that. There's no gimmicks. It's just, we're all in need. And there's a God who cares and he has come to rescue us. And so Paul goes, verse 13, we constantly thank God because when you received this message, the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is the word of God. This is a message of God himself addressing you and I and saying, good news. I know life's hard. Good news. It won't always be that way. I know you have broken relationships and you're struggling to get along with certain people that you love. Good news. It won't always be that way. I know you have back problems. I know you have this illness that you're constantly struggling with. Good news, it will not always be that way. I have come to undo all that, and I have ushered in a new resurrected life, a new humanity, that when Jesus steps out of that tomb in the flesh, in this body that he came to earth in, that he continually dwells in eternally, what he's done is he has ushered the human being He's ushered humanity into this new way of life. A new resurrected life without pain, sickness, death, brokenness, any of that. It's all gone. But we're in this weird in-between phase right now where that's happened. It's already started. It's, it's begun the process, and yet it's not fully here. We still have brokenness that we experience every single day. And so he's writing, you needed to hear this because you're experiencing brokenness and we thank God that you heard it as a message from God himself. Now, there are people who don't hear it that way. It's the whole reason he has to write this letter. There are people in Thessalonica around this body of believers now who did not hear it as a message from God, but they heard it instead as a message from these men. And it angers them. I want us to think about just for a moment why it would have made them so upset. Because we, we live in a culture that likes to think that we're like, hey, just whatever you believe is whatever you believe, and that's fine for you, right? We like to say that, at least our culture does. I don't know how true that actually is for people, but that's what they like to say. Whatever you believe is fine for you, and whatever I believe is fine for me. But these people are pretty ticked off. Why would they be so angry that these people are now following this guy named Jesus? And so it's interesting to note who's the most angry, right? It's the Jewish leaders. It's the people who are running the synagogues, the temple, that Paul and Silas went in to go preach good news at. And if you think about what's going on there, what's happening in the temple, is people are coming to these temples to find a way to get close to God. 
Remember, this is a city where they believe in all kinds of gods. All kinds of gods in, in the, the Greek and the Roman pantheon of gods. But here's this other God offered to them. And, and most people in this culture are going like, all right, I'll take whatever you're offering. I'll take whatever I can get, right? And so if you're saying there's this other God here too, the God of Israel, Yahweh, then maybe he can offer something to me that this God of agriculture can't offer me, right? So they go and they check it out. And then they're, they're seeing this story, this old ancient Jewish story that is saying, you need to make a sacrifice for the way that you've rebelled against this God. You've turned away from this God and you've rebelled against him. And because of that, there is blood owed. And so what they would do is they would have to come in and make a sacrifice of an animal, of a pure spotless animal. And I don't know if you remember the scene with G- when Jesus is walking the earth, but he, he points out some of the problems that started to take place in these temples because of that. He goes in one day and he sees people are selling these animals to the poor, the people who didn't have their own cattle, their own sheep, and they're selling them for a ridiculous price. And they're making money off of these people's desire to come to know God, to get closer to him. So now you have these guys that come in and start telling people, hey, you don't have to make a sacrifice anymore. There's been a sacrifice that's been made for you once and for all. And I'm over here trying to peddle my sheep and I'm going, whoa, 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 whoa. How am I supposed to pay my bills now, bro? You just stole all my business from me. Gives us a little more context why they're angry, right? Like you're taking away this thing that I've built my life on now. Don't, don't we see that in culture today? Don't we see that like we, we've built our lives on certain things and when there's a new message that comes in, when there's a message like, hey, actually, what you think this world is about is not what it's about. It's not about getting the most toys. It's not about having the most awesome experiences. It's not about being in a place of status and power. It's not about getting your own recognition. It's not about your comfort. And we start trying to strip those things away. Don't we get a little angry ourselves too? Whoa, I've built my life on this. Don't take that from me. The message of the gospel, the good news, that's the translation of Jesus, actually comes off very offensive to most people. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's times where it's very offensive to us, right? Because what it says is, I'm not king. I'm not in control of my own life. And I have a problem. There is something at my core that is twisted and ugly, and it's actually hostile toward who God is. That's the whole reason things fell apart in the beginning, was turning away from God being king and being the one in control and saying, no, 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 no. I want to have this authority. I want to have this control. I want to decide for myself what's good and not good. So that message of good news, it first comes to our human ears as an offense, doesn't it? So these people are offended and they're angry and you're trying to change my way of life. You're trying to change our culture, our society. I like things the way they are. Don't we see that in our society too a little bit? Like, I, I like things the way they are. Even, not even just with the gospel, but like politics coming in and people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I like things the way they've been. 
Don't change it on me, right? And we get all kinds of anger and dissension and division that happens because of that, because we're creatures of comfort, really. So you have this conflict happening now in the city. The Thessalonians are struggling with this. And Paul's reminding them, listen, you heard this message as it really is. This is the word of God. It's not something we brought. We only came as vessels, as messengers of God himself. And you heard it as that. And he's trying to encourage them, continue believing that. Continue walking in that. Yes, it will flip your world upside down in the best way possible. Because you'll actually live in what is true. And you'll actually find life and healing and freedom in a little while. Because right now it's actually causing you a lot of pain, isn't it? And there's going to be all throughout this letter a message of encouraging them to hold on to hope. Hold on to hope because that will not last forever too. And so this is what he says. He, he goes, listen, you're not the first ones to deal with this. This isn't new. You're actually becoming imitators now of the first church, the first people starting to follow Jesus in Judea. That when we started following Jesus there too, guess what? That same group of people, the Jews, they were getting angry and they turned against us and they were persecuting us. And not only were they persecuting us, you know what? This has always been the case. They killed the prophets. This is what he says. They killed the prophets before that. When people would come with the word of God, it would offend the Israelites and they would kill the prophets. If you guys were with us before, we, we went through the book of Daniel a little while back in 2019. And the book of Daniel is all about what's going on in captivity in Babylon. Well, before that, if you're reading the book of Jeremiah, who was one of the prophets who said, hey, God's not pleased, you guys, and we're gonna have to go into Babylon now and be prisoners there for a while because the way we've turned our hearts away from him. There was another prophet at the same time trying to tell them, no, 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 that's not true. Don't listen to Jeremiah. Everything's good, guys. Everything's cool. God loves us just for who we are. Just keep being yourself. Do you, it's okay. Do whatever makes you happy, it's fine, right? Like, very similar message we have in our culture today. And these people wanted to kill Jeremiah and praise this false prophet. What happens instead is God actually strikes down the other prophet because God's a little more powerful than those people. But this was, a, this was a pattern all throughout history. I don't like what you're saying. It's messing with my system. And so they, would, they persecuted the early church. They killed the prophets before. And he says this, not only that, in verse 15, they killed the Lord Jesus. They killed the very one who came to save them, who came to rescue them. Jesus told a parable about this before. He told a story about when a guy, a guy who owns a property, leaves it to his workers, and he hears that they're stealing from him. He hears that they're not caring for the land the way that they were entrusted to, and he's been paying them to do it. So he sends some messengers to go and talk with them, and they kill the messengers. So then he goes, well, let me, let me send some of my more noble people. And they get killed, and he goes, surely if I send my son as my representative, they'll listen to him. They'll see that authority, right? And what do they do? They kill the son as well. And so now the owner of the property is angry. Like, you would probably be pretty angry, right? 
He's got this burning wrath inside of him. And he goes, I'm going to come and I will wipe away from you. It'll be like you never existed. And then I will hand my property over to somebody else. This is what we start to see unfold in this weird passage. Verses 13 through 16 moves from, you guys believe good news, good on you. There's people who didn't believe this good news as the message of God and destruction's coming. It's not a, a super feel-good message. I was talking to some of the other elders with Missio uh, Tempe and Mesa. I was like, hey, it'd be great to have one of you guys come preach soon. And they're like, are there any texts that you don't want to preach? And I was like, yeah, this week. Like, I don't want to talk about wrath. That's not fun, right? And so then they said, no, we're not going to do this week. So here I am. This is what he ends with. He says, those people who aren't hearing this as God's message, but as a human message, they displease God and are hostile toward everyone by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. As a result, they are constantly filling up their sins to the limit and wrath has overtaken them at last. Another translation for that is actually in wrath will overtake them in the end, right? So what he's saying is they're not listening to this message of God. In fact, they are choosing they are choosing to discredit it and not only discredit it, but to keep others from hearing it. And so because of that, they're piling up their rebellion, which we all know the penalty for our rebellion against the king is death. They're piling this up until it's just gonna overflow and you can't, you can't take it anymore. And there will be a judgment. The way that Paul has worded this, many people have actually looked at and gone like, oh, wow, dang, like he really hates Jews because right? he's saying the Jews who persecuted you, they also persecuted us in Judea. They killed the prophets. They killed Jesus. They're going to get theirs, right? But we, like, we got to remember Paul himself is a Jew. If you read Romans 9 through 11 especially, he's got a deep love for his own people, his own kin, his nation. What he's speaking specifically to is those who are in opposition to the good news message of Jesus. And he's going, there will be a day there's a day coming when they will no longer have the opportunity to turn away from this message as the words of God and deny it as if it's only a human idea and thought. They will see clearly who's in control and it's not gonna be pretty for them. That's a hard message to hear. And there's, there's two things going on here. One, I think there is a little bit of hope that's trying to be offered because these people are being persecuted by those Jewish leaders. And not persecuted the way that we think of in our culture, right? We don't, we really have no idea how to relate to what they were going through. They were beating, being beat. They were, they were having their possessions taken from them. They were being separated from families and friends. People they grew up with and were tight with. They, they were turning their backs on them. They were being thrown into prison. We don't know what that's like. And so there's a little bit of hope offered there going, listen, one day, one day, God will sort through this and God is in control and he will have the last word. But there's also a sadness in this, a deep sadness over the brokenness because these people had the same opportunity to hear the message as a word of God as the, the believers in Thessalonica did. Like, that's the, that's the point here I want us to see is he says this. He goes, the problem is they're keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so they may be saved. 
It's a reminder, the gospel's for everybody. The good news is that everyone would come to know Jesus. So this, this message that was originally for the Jewish people, God's chosen people, originally they were blessed what? To be a blessing to the other nations. God wants you Gentiles who don't, you weren't part of that original line lineage of Abraham to be saved and welcomed in. So he's not saying that in opposition to the Jewish people. He's not saying, okay, you're in now and they're out, right? This is a message for all people, everyone of any race, gender, age, place of life, it doesn't matter, is welcome into the kingdom of God because of Jesus. So what he's saying here is that not God has chosen to dispose of them and discard them, but that they have chosen to turn their backs. I have a slide for, uh, in Matthew 23, this is when Jesus goes to Jerusalem. This is when he's entering into the Holy Land as he's facing the final week of his life, as he's about to go through persecution and endure torture and death on the cross. The same one that we just read, Paul wrote about. They killed the Lord Jesus. This is the week that this is going to happen. And Jesus is standing on top of a hill and he's overlooking the city. And he says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he's weeping over the city at this point. And he says, she who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and yet you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. The picture there that Jesus is talking about, N.T. Wright talks about this. He says that uh, when there would be like a barnyard fire, there's been times where people have found there's a mother hen who was burnt to a crisp as her wings are spread over her little baby chicks. That she gives her life up to save her babies in the barnyard fire. And he believes this is the picture, this is the image that Jesus is speaking about here. He's saying, how often I wanted to gather you together and I would bear the brunt of it. I would take on death and punishment and persecution and pain in place of you, that I would cover you with my wings of salvation and grace. I wanted to do this for you so bad And what does he say? And you were not willing. And so because of that, he says your house is desolate. Like you have nothing now. This kingdom you've been building up for yourself, these things you've been trying to establish for yourself in your life, it's desolate. It's gone. You have nothing. There's nothing. If you would have come to me under the protection of my wings, you'd have life. And abundance. This is what we're hearing here for the people in Thessalonica. There are two options, right? You can, you can come and find your need and your place under King Jesus and allow him to take on the brunt of death on our behalf. Or you can get burned in the fire when the barnyard fire comes. He says, not only do they displease God, but he says, they are hostile to everyone. That's in verse 15, hostile to everyone. I don't think that he's only talking about the fact that they were persecuting the church in Thessalonica. 
Like, this is what he says. They were hostile to everyone, verse 16, by keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so they might be saved. Because they're trying to prevent you from hearing the good news of Jesus, they're hostile to you. And that is where we can in our culture identify. That's where in our culture, okay, now we can start to talk about persecution, right? It's not in the physical sense, but it's in the sense that there is a reality that in our society, people do not want us talking about this message. And what the word of God says is that that is hostility toward other human beings. Bethany and I were watching this TV show called Superstore. I don't recommend it. It's a terrible show. But it's kind of like, like when there's cold pizza on the table and you're not even really hungry, but it's there and you eat it because it's pizza and it's in front of you. Like that's the show for us, right? We're like, all right, put it on. And so we're watching the show and it's kind of like a, a Best Buy, Walmart type of setting. And the manager is, uh, she, she's running this store and they're getting a call, like a Skype and video call from the CEO of the company. And so all the, all the employees are like, this is great. This is an opportunity for us to share with her, with the CEO, about some of these things that we need because we're struggling and we, and we can't do our jobs right. And we're not getting paid well and all these issues going on, right? And they're like, this is an opportunity to share with them. And so while the Skype video is going on and the CEO asks the question straight up and she goes, is there anything you guys need from me? And some of the employees start to speak up. They're like, well, actually, and the manager cuts them off. She's like, no, no, everything's great. Everything's great. And another person starts to speak up. She's like, no, 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 don't listen to them. Everything's fine. And she's doing this not to like try to like jab a knife in their back or anything, but it's because she really feels like the best thing is to just keep everything kind of easy going, smooth sailing. She's doing it for her own comfort as a manager working with corporate. She's doing it for the comfort of not rocking the boat, Right? But what she's doing, even though she thinks it's the best thing, is actually hurting her employees. And I think in the same way, it's a picture of what's going on in our culture. Is we have a lot of thought in our culture like, hey, as long as you're kind to people, right? As long as you're a nice person, as long as you treat people decently, and we're, we, we just want to keep it all comfortable, and we put it under this guise of love. We say it's because we want to love other people, but really what we're doing is we're just sweeping stuff under the rug so that we can be comfortable. So when people are talking about like, as, as long as you're kind to other people, what they're saying is, as long as you don't make me uncomfortable, right? I don't want to get into those conversations because that makes me uncomfortable. And that's actually one of the most dangerous people to be around when they're kind to you because of their own comfort. Because what will happen is, is the second it's not comfortable for them, the claws are going to come out. It's going to get ugly. And so even though our culture talks about just everyone being nice to each other and loving each other and letting you believe what you want to believe, the reality is when you come with a message like this that says, no, 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 we are all in need. People don't like that. They go, whoa, that's making me uncomfortable. And that's why there's hostility toward Christianity in our culture, but every other school of thought, every other worldview, every other faith is widely accepted. That's just the reality. I'm not, I'm not an apologist. I'm not trying to like get into those debates right now, but that is the reality of our culture that we're in. Is if there is a message that says, you're not okay, no, 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 no. I'm hashtag blessed, bro. Like I'm winning at life. I am more than a conqueror, if, if you want to put a Christian twist on it, right? 
You know, my, my mom told me I'm the coolest kid in school, and I got all these particip- participation trophies. So, like, I, what do you mean I'm not okay? That makes me uncomfortable. And then you start talking about you are in deep need of someone to rescue you. I don't, I don't want to hear that, right? So now there's a hostility toward that message. The hostility first comes toward that message. But now what we're seeing in this is people so badly don't want to hear that message and so badly don't want it to mess with the comforts that they set up in their own life that now there's a hostility toward letting anyone else hear that message. And they might even think they're doing the right thing, like this manager in that TV show. But what they're doing is actually harming the people around them. If I'm doing everything I can to keep you from finding a cure to whatever it is your your illness is, like I'm hostile toward you. I'm hostile toward you finding life and salvation and rescuing. Here's the twist. I could talk about the culture all day long. We could talk about they, them doing this. And the reality is every single one of us has been hostile toward God. I could name five different ways this morning I have been hostile toward God in my heart. And it could be as simple as when I'm starting to feel convicted by God, by the Spirit about something, and I go, I don't want to hear that, and instead I start scrolling through my Instagram feed to drown it out. Or I turn on the radio because I don't want to deal with that, right? I don't want to deal with the reality of my sin and my need and the discomfort that I have been hostile toward God. And now I'm doubling that up. I'm filling up my sin to limit because I am being hostile toward the message that I need to hear that I am in need and good news, there is someone who has come to meet that need. I don't want to hear that because I think I've got my stuff together. And if you're honest with yourselves because you're a human being, so I can say this without a doubt, there's at least been one time this week that that's true for you too. Maybe it's like a small conviction of, hey, you should probably go talk to your neighbor. You know that they have a mom in the hospital and they're struggling. And you go, yeah, but Superstore's on TV, right? Whatever it is. Hey, come spend time with me. And in the word and in prayer is the invitation from God. And you're going, I don't know. There's five other things I want to do right now. Or I'm busy because my life is super important, right? And so now we're all faced with the reality of this last statement. As a result, they're constantly filling up their sins to the limit and wrath has overtaken them at last. What do we do about that? This is why we take time every Sunday to confess. We recognize we are in need. Jesus' call, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I was willing to gather you up like a hen gathers her chicks, but you were unwilling. Why do you think God calls out to the first man and woman in the garden? Hey, where are you when he knows full well what's going on? And then he says, did you do the thing I asked you not to do? Like, would you just come and confess and admit that you messed up and that you're in need? Because I'm willing to help you. I'm willing to gather you back in. I'm willing actually not just to wipe it clean and sweep it under the rug like we want to do. I'm willing to actually bear the brunt of it for you. We got to deal with this, but I'm going to take it on. I'm willing to do that for you. This is a message the person 
who does not know Jesus needs to hear, the message that the young man in our cohort I told you about needs to hear. It's a message you and I need to hear every single day. We cannot earn our way back to God by making our own sacrifices. And we cannot earn a comfortable life by building up our own kingdom. We need to come and say, we're in need. Wrath has been filled up against me. My sins have been filled up. And yet, there's someone who's going to drink that cup for me. That's good news. I don't know if my tone is saying it because it doesn't sound like good news, right? But I want us to hear the severity of our sin makes that good news all the better. Good news. All that stuff that you had felt shame about, that you had felt guilty for, the stuff that you had been filling up in your list of sins against God, he wants to come and cover you with his wings of grace and salvation. He wants to rescue you. Hear that over and over and over every day as you continue your walk with Jesus and you will grow closer and closer and closer to actually believing it. Let's pray.